the Academy will tell you that everyone wants a pleasant green future. But what they don't tell you about is its dark underbelly. They promise green energy and green jobs. But where does all this green come from? Out of your pocket. Thankfully, there's another way for a better tomorrow and a brighter future. We at Omega Co. are pro-Omega, pro-robots, and pro-pro-money. Omega Co. believes in building as many factories and franchises as you can. Those Academy elitists will say, oh, but what about the trees? It's the trees' fault for growing in the way of your factories. Keep the green in your pocket. Build your city of tomorrow with Omega Co. What kind of mayor will you be? Go green? or double down on greed. Can you manage both? Welcome one and all to another special edition of Nick's Nonfiction, second of the year. You're here with your host, comic Nick Munez. Prepare yourselves. Get your bodies ready for the singularity. We have got a high echelon Silicon Valley mind. This is Anthony Townsend with Smart Cities. You walk down the street in any urban area and your body sets off a chain reaction of machines that you are unaware of. As soon as you approach a building, the front doors slide open magically, abracadabra, someone from 200 years would lose their mind. From there, you walk into a dark room, the lights magically flicker on, the air conditioning communicates with a thermostat. It regulates the entire temperature of the building and all the while you make your way to the elevator, there are surveillance cameras tracking your every step. It's a mundane chain. We overlook it every damn day. The further automated we let this chain get, the closer we are to a smart city. Remember that old Disney Channel movie? Let's watch a Disney Channel movie. There was that one smart house, and the house was a complete bitch. She started locking the entire family in the house, <laughs> surveilling their language and the substances that they consumed. Our cities will one day be sentient. That movie, Her, Siri, is going to be smarter than us at some point. The argument Townsend has for the book is nowadays data, hotter commodity than gold. China is collecting more data about their citizens than we are. So their cities are smarter than ours. We're going to be talking about Cisco Vision today. All kinds of pioneering surveillance technology. So their cities are at a... 5D level chess, 200 IQ cities, and we are running on a TI-84. Throughout the original coronavirus, the two-week lockdown, they placed 10,000 smart cameras on top of New York City streetlights. Times Square, there's the 5G tracers now, so live feed of your city. I've mentioned before the Dark Knight, Morgan Freeman, he linked up all of our phones, and then you could create an entire... 3d world in live action using everybody's devices how long until a robocop is standing on the brooklyn bridge he's got to check your rfid chip just so that you could go into the city of manhattan we're going all across the world cities of the world especially china as they've taken the leap before us today it's going to be a really fun show i got to break out my robot voice again it's an early morning give me a second here Nitron 9000 present to initiate smart city culture of compliance. We are off. About the author, Anthony Townsend. The man is an absolute ghost online. His alumni is listed as New York University, and he runs in these 
circles. He's in the New York Architectural Committee of the Future. He's talks about the World Economic Forum in this book. Those guys, Bill Gates was part of it. Jelaine Maxwell's sister founded it. They are saying, by 2030, you will own nothing and you will like it. Extended public ownership. I'm going to sell it to you guys today. We're going smart. You're going to have a RFID chip in your toothbrush and your butt plug. He's only got three books, and his Wikipedia page, Anthony Townsend, is in German. I don't know what this guy's hiding from. His first book was written in 2004, Information Technology and the World at Work. He knew that all of the your work server is connected to the guys down the block, and it's all connected via the internet. We're going to talk about ARPANET today, early developments of military technology linking computers. His second book, Mr. Townsend, was this one in 2013, Smart Cities, Big Data, Civic Hackers, The Quest for the New Utopia. Utopia is always right around the corner. Been that way for 6,000 years. And the third, the newest book, 2020, that one was written, Ghost Road, Beyond the Driverless Car. It's almost like he knows the globalist agenda before they have it. He's going, in this book even, what happens when the grid hiccups when we have a full driverless car system. You guys might have been hearing about how food stores closed for two weeks in New Mexico. There has been a trucker strike. They talk about doing this more. Something like 30 million Americans get their job on the road trucking. If all those guys step down, the entire supply chain is fucksville. You gotta really call in a favor for Mr. Bezos. Tesla's automated trucks or drones, one way or another. All these things have to be automated so that we can compete with China, you know? (laughs) His quote to sell that book if you want some more, Townsend 2020. Autonomous vehicles will turbocharge our appetite for the instant delivery of goods, making the future as much about moving things as it is about moving people. And you've heard Ocasio-Cortez's Green New Deal, you're not allowed to own a car, rich people fly private jets. You know, we got to cut down our CO2 emissions. Townsend is taking that same line of logic that we have to put the grid, the machines, the smart learning algorithms first. It's a mm, sacrifice for the now, for the smart cities of tomorrow. Rather, Nietzschean, I've been getting into some of his works, We he says the closer we get away from humanity, you know, the Unabomber says the closer we get to the singularity, the more we value the needs of machines over humans. Taking a balanced approach to today's book, only 10 chapters, the history of urban planning we're going over, all the way to the cyber souls of the future decades. Chapter 1, The $100 billion Jackpot. The construction of great gathering spaces, they always draw the brightest minds to them. Like the pyramids, people were trekking from all over the world to see the Tower of Babel before that, the Colosseum, Venice, Da Vinci was bringing all of the Ninja Turtles there to go study, Mount Olympus, the Crystal Palace was a big one in London, this is when we started the World Fairs, remember that Nikola Tesla was blowing people's mind with his little RC cars, they're like, you're magic, how are you controlling that with your mind, got a little joystick in his pocket. There's a penis joke in there somewhere. The World Fairs. Wouldn't you want to go to one? This is when industrial-scale architecture really comes into play. 
it's a management challenge when you have tens of thousands of people in an indoor space. The Crystal Palace in London, gotta look up pictures, it looks like a gigantic greenhouse. It was designed so that the ventilation couldn't fail. Failure is not an option when you're building the Crystal Palace because you will bake all 60,000 people that could fit inside if there is one ventilation error. And Townsend is saying after that, industrial scale architecture was based around cooling instead of heating. Like the chimney sweeps, Mary Poppins before then, it was all about how you could disperse heat throughout the home. And, you know, that's like a farmhouse or a friggin' Indian wigwam. You burn a fire in the middle and you create a smokestack to go out. Townsend's bigger argument for the first part of the first chapter is when we started creating air conditioning, it brought people back into the cities. And they say if you lived in suburbs, 1950, Perfectville, America, people weren't on the streets anymore. After 1950, everybody was watching Elvis gyrate his hips in color vision because they had air conditioning you could stay inside so this brought people back to the cities they learned this through early failures at those world fairs 1960 the london architectural association they got together and started writing rooming thinking about the future cities of tomorrow so they drew four utopias heron's walking city is the most famous you've probably seen pictures online there's no streets in the city. Everybody's like, it looks kind of green. Vendors in the middle. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is flying overhead. You got the Dreadnought Cities was another one of their drawings. This is absolutely ridiculous. This guy must have been on peyote when he came up with this. It is a gigantic city with thousands of spider legs at the bottom so that you could move your city around. Fucking New Yorkers, we were the original city. Boston hates New York. They could take their dreadnought city and spider walk it to the West Coast. I'm walking here. <laughs> what was that movie that they came out last year? It was gigantic cities on tank treads and they would like go to battle with each other. How are there no more ideas for drama? We're doing dreadnought cities fighting each other. <laughs> No one's making movies about giant green cities that are self-sustainable. <laughs> One thing that was revealed through all of the early designs of cities and these mass human processing buildings, HVAC is completely essential. What Townsend started noticing was in the 70s, that housing market crash. We learned about it a month or so ago, Liar's Poker. There's a lot of poor single moms. Everybody's in student loan debt. So there's low-income urban housing, and we'll get into, I think, Chapter 7 is now you could test on people, social programs, all this kind of stuff to sway the future of society. Let's run with this convention center thing. Songdo, South Korea, has the biggest functioning convention center in the Milky Way galaxy. It holds 20,000 people per wing, and it has eight wings. So you got 160,000 humans inside this one building. That's cooler than a friggin' uh, stadium. Biggest stadiums in America could hold 50,000 people. These are three times the size. You know where they're holding friggin' Comic-Con? Every city has one. This will be where your FEMA camp is if things ever really hit the fan. Imagine you've seen uh, Tenet, another biggest movie of last year. At the beginning, there's this scene, they go to Russia, the CIA is planning this false flag event, and they put a tiny 
anoxia, whatever the gas was that was going to pollute the vent system and get everybody sick within. I could have just said die hard. Now all the buildings, these gigantic convention centers have these ventilation systems you could snoop around through or do something tremendously heinous. Songdo alone pulls $300 million a year and they help LG pioneer their RFID access functions. So anybody that's coming in, you have your badge around your neck for the landscaping convention so you can go cheat on your wife. Well, if she has the RFID chip like the Songdo Convention Center, she's going to know who you're hanging out with. South Korea, they're doing a lot more of these programs giving way to LG to test on new technology. He said South Korea is embracing the internet as an engine for social transformation. They have what's called an internet cafe grid where certain chains of coffee shops sign on to an internet server that's provided and it's limited or blocked at certain points like your high school Wi-Fi. Remember coolmathgames.com where there was this one kid, he told me how you could just type in the mirror version of every website. <laughs> so I'm reading backwards like the devil. There's ways to get around these things, obviously. This internet cafe grid, it's... You've seen dystopian movies. I'm going to sell it. The Korean cities, they're pioneering payment technology through this. So when you go to a Starbucks in Korea, at the door, you're not even allowed in unless you're a member. So they scan your face. You get to walk in. By the time you're at the counter, the robots that are making your drink, they already know how many sugars you take. You want decaf or how much caffeination you need this morning because they got your biometric readings. The only way I could see this taking a bad turn is uh, the internet grid didn't like the meme you posted via their Wi-Fi while sipping on a cup of joe. And now you're not allowed in the stores ever. Go follow Harry shit on Instagram. Fire memes talking about transhumanism. <laughs> Tying the bow on chapter one here. 3% of the global GDP goes into infrastructure. So these corporations like LG and the coffee shops who want to try this technology are going to be able to grab a lot of those billions of dollars in subsidies. 3% of the world's worth goes to social engineering of the future. Townsend dropped here how there's going to be, like in the Songdo Convention Center, dynamic ticket pricing in America. So they kind of already had this with Ticketmaster. You waited a week to buy the tickets. Well, the internet has your cookies and they know you're coming back. They just drove demand up and now it's a higher price or more convenient. Let's say there's automatic rebooking. You're in the smart cab on the way to the airport and you're running late. Well, the self-driving cab will do four laps around the airport and reschedule your flight, smart scheduling for a later flight so you're not rushing around. Automation, it means losing your autonomy. You know, at least you didn't have to reach into your pocket to grab your wallet to get into that coffee shop before. Now everything's automated. He ended the chapter on power requirements. They're going to double by 2035 to do all of our fancy air conditioning. So we got to put around $370 billion <laughs> to um, new smart energy grids in all of these cities. You guys know the wall? I'm not a Donald Trump supporter. I would have never voted for him. I didn't even vote in this past election. That wall would have only costed $4 billion. And all the greatest empires in history have something keeping people out of their city. 
This guy wants to spend $370 billion on smart grids going directly to AT&T and GE. Later chapter has a story about a guy who hacked the grid. May not be a good idea to centralize that much. Cities, they're always going to be the forefront of developmental energy technology and that cultural modification. Let's hit chapter two. Cybernetic Redux. In 1787, the year that the Constitution was passed, the Union instituted the first ever census. The first ever census, it took three years. So by 1790, all of the men that went out to all the colonies, their beards muddied up, they get back to the White House and they compose a 56-page packet for President Washington to show him that there are... Four million people in the United States and the biggest settlements at that time had 30,000 people. And that's like a medium-sized municipality today. Your town growing up, if you had one high school, 400 people graduating class, that's about a 30,000-person town. And that was the biggest town in America until past the 1800s. Only four million people here. That's a lot of space. (laughs) A little cramped right now. Smart city, you'll be sitting on each other's lap, wally chairs. In 1840, 10% of people lived in cities. So within 80 years, it was a drastic change. And what happened then? The Industrial Revolution. 1880 then, we were a country of majority city dwellers. And the population was up to 50 million. 1880s, America, Thomas Edison's starting light bulbing. This place was a friggin' hot club. We were pulling a million and a half immigrants a year at a birth rate of over 2.1. So that means we're breeding like rabbits. People are just piling into cities. Remember the tenements you probably learned about in U.S. history? People were living eight people to a dirt floor room. In 1892, a counting machine was finally made. And so everybody was printed a uniquely edged stamp so that you can't falsify the census. The last city counted D.C. brought the total up to 60 million people by 1900. So how did we get to 300 million within 100 years? High fructose corn syrup. (laughs) Not really. We're still pulling a lot of immigrants. The whole deal with this vote counting machine was that it costed 65 cents for per thousand people counted. And so the government was like, stop, we'll just do this ourselves. We don't need to pay a third party to do this. And so they co-opted this guy, Holorith, who worked at the census machine counting. He just took all the intellectual information over to the state. And they were able to produce by 1910 their own counting machine and then they went on to contract IBM to do it by 1924 and what did IBM wind up doing a decade later turn a blind eye to it make punch cards for the Nazis computers for the Russians in the Cold War (laughs) IBM they're still doing our census in 2011 they revealed Big Blue which is their supercomputer a saber system to count everybody up It was based off of a database of credit purchases and, you know, travel logs. So they're just looking at all of the mass data and they can, (laughs) this is super AI, just assume how many people there are. In the smart city, you're not going to need some guy coming to your 
98th story one room apartment and tallying you. They'll just look at you through your phone and then you're counted for. IBM, they're at the forefront of all this smart city technology. In 2016, they took shot spotter tech down to Rio de Janeiro to try to calm down the city during the Olympic Games. Shot spotter tech, we're using that up in Chicago now. You put them all over your city on the light posts, and then at the police, you have a grid of all these little units. And so when someone fires a Mac 10, mini Uzi at somebody, you get an exact reading down to the inch of where this person is based on all of those little speakers pinging off like sonar. It's the future of policing. We could go straight up RoboCop on this show. He's definitely going to be in the city of tomorrow. <laughs> the Imperial Marchers, people that are going to lock up their neighbors. You're going to be replaced by RoboCop eventually. This cybernetic redux chapter townsend was really making his big argument that we need to beat china we need to collect more information we need to have more of those little smart sensors 5g trackers everywhere under our feet at all times so what do we do here on the show we like some philosophical the bigger questions of life we got to talk some isaac asimov he's going to be bought up a couple more times throughout the show and he had his own interpretation of these future cities, the tale of two cities. One side is going to embrace the culture of compliance. And it was weird, this phraseology was used in Townsend's book as well. So in these forums of the future, whatever these think tanks are, there is um, a common understanding. This culture of compliance, one city needs to fully embrace that to go under under that autonomy. The second city then is the one who's going to reject that programming and fragment into all the different groups like the internet. And he compared it to Cold War Berlin. You had one side that was complete authoritarian left and then one side that wanted to go to the Berlin discos. It's like a cyberpunk reality that we're going to get into. <laughs> one of the cities is going to comply and if there are any hiccups then you're going to have more people trying to pirate vax passports or you know more restrictions there are there more need for a black market there is we already had a uh, orwell's 1984 go read some WikiLeaks. we are admissed huxley's brave new 20s i didn't think we were gonna live through some dickens chapter three the cities of tomorrow in the 1850s barcelona blew up by employing all the newest ideas, railroads, telegraphs, a real technological push for the time. And quickly, they made the same exact mistakes as London did. In Barcelona and London, the upper class moved to the outskirts of the city as the poor flooded into the center. And we're still trying to make this new way. West side Manhattan, they're building by the High Line, all this Chinese real estate. They're trying to bring all the money downtown again even though all of the people working wall street are up in connecticut dodging taxes you see in these chinese cities remember that movie parasite was really big there are people living underground with the cockroaches and then there are those ones with up above the ground lawn looking over the slums it's probably so much more in your face in other cities across the world the disparity the difference of wealth i've seen it across the la is insane just the people in the hills looking down on all the scum 
This is the city of tomorrow. Barcelona, London made the same mistakes in 1850. Got to find some way to integrate the classes. Rich people are more racist than racist people. Oh, he's only a millionaire. I bet his yacht is held together by band-aids. Townsend gets into those garden cities some more. They gotta have walkable neighborhoods, shops only on the fringes with one massive covered complex in the center. He's describing a amusement park, basically. Go to a Six Flags. You got the big attraction in the center, and then all the shops, the rides on the sides. Townsend believes Songdo is the closest implementation to these smart cities. Kiwi, Q-I-Y-I, is a close second. It's in Chengdu, China. It's a city of 16 million. <laughs> New York City is like 9 million, and on, and on a working day, they used to have 15 million people on the peninsula of Manhattan. Biggest city in the country of the United States. Chengdu's Kiwi, a tiny city, has 16 million. And they have these mossy covered apartments you might have seen. China's fucking whipping our ass at this. They have ghost cities. They're working on both ends of these bubbles. So this city of tomorrow, when the rich people start fleeing, and then eventually the poor people go to that next city with them, the yuppies. In China, they're building these ghost cities. There's there's a Paris of China. They have an Eiffel Tower. So they'll just eventually flood that city when it crashes. When Kiwi is uninhabitable. Songdo has this theme park style design. He starts talking about Tel Aviv is doing it right. <laughs> Aren't they bombing their neighbors at all times? They're definitely not doing geopolitics right. Some Zionist praise from Old Townsend. His argument here for this City of Tomorrow's chapter is if we want to be able to create a simpsons dome over the city to protect us from meteors and outside air giant bubble boy city we have to give up our cars because <laughs> what do plants inhale co2 what do our cars expel co2 we can't be having that you know get, get rid of your cars green new deal and the data from the 1930s that he cherry-picked was how Disorganized streetlights led to traffic accidents. You see those old pictures, the streetlights where there were no regulations. And he's going, people are dying now because of cars were invented. Fucking Luddite. <laughs> what are you, a car accident denier? My grandma is dying of a car accident and you still get behind the wheel? This is freaking smart logic. You know, um... Cities are good at having bars, or at least they used to be. All the cutest girls fleeing in, trying to be like friends, meet their husband. 80% of violent crime takes place under the influence of alcohol, and usually on the streets outside of bars. According to uh, Townsend logic, we should probably outlaw drinking then, right? You know that you're more likely to be killed by a family member than a stranger? We should outlaw family, right, Townsend? Start us out like a Cuomo, like a Newsome. <laughs> These people exist. Anthony Townsend, he stopped calling it a culture of compliance we need. He said we must urge each other to participate. How good is your philosophy if you need to urge someone into it? Here, quickly, do this. Take the shot. It's ready. No, 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 urge you. What the fuck? I just want freedom. How is that a take it or leave it? I'm taking it. Sovereignty is not something that can exist in the smart city. You have to urge one another into socially compliant acts. Chapter 4, 
or into the second act of the book. This is called Open Source Metropolis. Instagram is an open sourced platform. It is user generated content. And he said YouTube is <laughs> never mind. Instagram, they will censor your uh posts, your memes if it says it's harmful information. But uh there's an open source metropolis. We'll talk about gatekeepers a little bit. In the nineteen eighties, NYU, Townsend's alum, they scrapped together the alternate media center. They were trying to train tech activists because they saw how fast everything was developing. Silicon Valley was born in the 80s. You're seeing arcade games come from nothing. It's a jarring time. This alternate media center said, we have to stop paying attention to technology and start paying attention to people. There are people behind the screens. This was massive in my mass media communication education. They would always say, the medium is the message. Marshall McCullough, that guy is fucking, he's got really good writings, a lot of essays, short things you could get your hands on, free PDFs online, highly suggest. And the medium is the message is our blue check culture. It doesn't matter who is saying what, as long as you know they have the stamp of approval. My professor always said that most uh, TV is watched by old people and they are not actively viewing and active viewing is like when you're reading a book you put it down sometimes to think about digest what you just took in and TV is passive viewing scrolling on Instagram you ever do that thing where you don't even know what you're doing anymore it feels like your eyes are glazed over <laughs> and then you go where am I what am I looking at and you're scrolling and <laughs> Bowsette hentai anime 4k cp <laughs> things put you in a trance the medium often becomes the message we forget what we came to this platform for and so that 1980s thing they had a good message alternate media center look for the person not the platform townsend kind of took a turn for the evil here he called entrepreneurs and artists civic hackers because they are foregoing the system of state gatekeepers to connect with a greater audience he believes in the channels of the whatever exists already the people that have the biggest cult followings are line are online are direct to consumer and townsend is saying these people are hackers they are foregoing television you have to get a sitcom before you can ever make people laugh online and his example was that Harlem, in the early days of jazz, they didn't embrace um, money as much as the Lower West Side, Chelsea, Soho, who turned into really big economic centers. Harlem, they focused on hip-hops and uh, local-sourced radio channels, and he said this distracted them, so their infrastructure started to crumble. <laughs> While Greenwich Village, they got all the funding. You know, big money... You could see, if you're a mayor, where you would want to prop up. The bigger point here I thought was kind of cool was that in the Lower West Side, where was that in Greenwich Village, where Andy Warhol and the Velvet Underground, the rock band, they used to hold court down there, see who is really an artist who's just trying to cash out. Now a Mexican franchise is in that spot. <laughs> Everything has its price. Do we want these cramped skyscrapers that draws tourism? 
Or do you want Andy Warhol level art, Velvet Underground level rock? The artist has been priced out of the city. Townsend says they are hacks. So this open source metropolis, how open source is it really if the system of the gatekeepers has to be obeyed? His final fear-mongering tactic for the chapter is that if the state isn't in total control, they can't protect you against these civic hackers. And control always comes in the form of protection. That's a common theme on the show. So the Federal Reserve, they're in control of the banking system. How come I still get Indian scammer calls pretending to be putting my bank account on a hold? They're not protecting me from that, but they have complete control to print money at will. I bet you the next war, like we had the war on terror, the war on germs, it's going to be the war on hackers next. So they're going to pass another Trace Act, another Patriot Act, 24-7 live feed surveillance on your iPhone because we don't want you guys to get hacked. And people will sign on to that. (laughs) The solution, he said, is citizen micro-control. Pretty scary phraseology that these people use. Micro-control so that you can macro-manage the city. He said uh, these city servers, those smart grids that we set up, they're going to have to track your emails to prevent scammers. (laughs) Your, what's it called, the trash file, the spam folder, is just going to straight up be an FBI guy. The NSA, they're already doing this. We know this. Noam Chomsky, I've been reading some of, he calls it manufactured consent. For some reason, these big Silicon Valley forums, they have to let you know and have you sign on to it. You guys want your emails read, right, for your protection? It has to be the cultural opinion. The Mockingbird Media is pretty efficient at getting those messages out there. Townsend, about this open source media, he ended on universal Wi-Fi is going to be a really big selling point. You know, it'll make your life so much easier. Elon Musk says there's going to be Wi-Fi raining from the satellites in the sky. But you know, during a time where we're under the threat of microscopic pathogens, we can't give you guys Wi-Fi outside because that'll up the spread of diseases. There's always all these little rules. The more you sign off on automation, again, you're making deals with the devil. You can never take that freedom back. I'm not for this fucking open source Wi-Fi. Just buy a hotspot. There are services for these things. I was in City Park in Denver. If you're a frequenter there, you guys know the Loon Pond in the back. It bodies up to the zoo. There's this gigantic dead tree. It's got to be hundreds of years old. And there are hundreds of these long-necked birds up on the branches. And at one at a time, they'll dive down into the water. And sometimes they come up with a fish. It's a beautiful scene. I'm sitting there one day reading, and I see a pretty cute girl on the other bench, and uh, a move had to be made. She didn't look like a local. You (laughs) take your shot, King. Would have never seen her again. So I go over there, and I let her know, hey, miss, (laughs) I didn't say this, hey, baby, hey, sweet pants, come talk to me for a minute. I'm not creepy. I said, did you know that you could get onto the zoo Wi-Fi because we're so close to it? And so she zoomed in on her tablet, logged in. Oh, my God, thank you. We wound up going to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in 35mm at an independent theater that night. If there was Wi-Fi raining from the sky, this would have never happened. We would have had to go home and have sex with our robots sponsored by MindGeek. (laughs) You know, more tech equals less sex. Smart cities 
more like celibate cities. Waka waka. Chapter 5. Tinkering Towards Utopia. The architectural forum gathered in the 1960s to discuss the failure of the natural city. 1960s, the Brits are drawing dreadnought cities and we're already admitting we failed. Rather than becoming Italian hillside cities or that Greek oikos, white like the yogurt city side where it's all on the water, they're going, for some reason, <laughs> these cities are bringing out the human nature in all of us. Like 1970s New York City, the Times Square was peep shows, gangbangers, your impulses will take control when you get into the Big Apple. What's the shattered... Pride and joy and greeted sex, that's what makes our town the best. Look at me, I'm in tatters. Does it matter? Does it matter, Mr. Townsend? We're going towards these smart cities. The reason I'm bringing up cyberpunk is we're not going to cure all the greed, all the worst parts of humanity by inserting technology and becoming cyborgs. It's just going to go more underground. You've seen Blade Runner the ghost in our shell that is a more accurate depiction of the future than these like garden cities i made so much cover art for this and i wound up going with this purple dark looking future city because that's the vibe that townsend is putting out here and we're trying to tinker towards this utopia as the pharaohs told the egyptians as the british empire told the people at the crystal palace murica silicon valley is telling us we're going to hit these smart cities up Foursquare was a big part of this chapter. It's the app made by Google. Debuted it at South by Southwest. It was supposed to be just a app to share where all of the shows were going to be. Who's going to be on what stage at what time. And after the festival, people kept using it to share their music inclinations. And they're going, we could really influence people with this. So they start putting pins around the city on Foursquare. Oh, you went to the bar four times this week? You get the Crunk badge. You uh, went to the track a few times? You get the Athlete badge. You friggin' gamify life with these apps. That's uh, It's kind of like religion tells you to do this. You gotta be more good than bad. Your karma points have to be in the positive to level up. This is what uh, science is the new religion. They're just literally gamifying life for you. It's going to be an augmented reality. Go down to downtown to see the Travis Scott concert, a live event. <laughs> I mean, there's going to be cool stuff. You could go to um, Central Station in New York City and then put on your Google glasses and you could watch the Avengers giant things fall from the sky. But all these technologies flop. Segways, Google Glass... I hope we don't put too much stake into the smart cities like stockholders did with those devices. We're tinkering there. We're getting towards the smart city. Wrapping this one up, he said the 60s records started being kept where calls were going. <laughs> Early NSA days, they already knew who was calling who, what the social networks were. In uh, 2006, AT&T, they sold map data to city planners, 3D maps of live communication, scene for scene out of the dark night. <laughs> it's pretty creepy to think about. In uh, real time, Google can send out more of those Foursquare, Squarespace recommendations and system alerts to summon a BLM rally out of thin air. Your phone is friggin' part of your brain. 
and the city will eventually be part of your soul. Chapter 6, Have Nots. What can you not do in a smart city? Shishinwa, Russia is an eastern bloc city, and he was talking about the early days of air conditioning there. They didn't have it. The USSR couldn't afford any of that. Commies couldn't afford bread or toilet paper. And it led to thousands of people dying in a heat wave there. And in April of 2009, you know, the Iron Curtain falls, Shizinwa becomes a capitalist city. 2009, the elections come around, and there were a uh, suspicious voter turnout for the Communist Party. And so people started rioting. Their media was calling it a revolution. They're going, look at all of these angry mobs in the streets because they're not for the communist takeover. And this was at the same time as the Arab Spring. Remember around 2012, Twitter got people in touch and it was such live communication, you could say. <laughs> you could communicate like a general. And so this is why Shanghai started get. We're jumping all around the globe for this chapter. Have not. It comes to a bigger culmination. Shanghai, they started to get more of the market action when the Hong Kong protests began. And you look at Shanghai now, it looks like a future city. It does look like there are spaceships amongst the buildings. Hong Kong, when those protests were going down, the protesters created their own internet communication grid. And then this started to happen in Moldova, and it was getting really big in 2019 before you couldn't go outside. This was because the internet was too fast. The high-speed Moldovan web, these eastern bloc cities, were saying that open-source communication is too fast. So smart cities are not to a linear end where we just want to be the fastest, the best, the richest, the most liberty-filled city for everybody. It's control. It's about controlling every facet. Fast internet, but not too fast. It's in the state's best interest. Uh, 2010, the World Bank, they hired web programmers for $150 million to create a shadow industry in tech. This is the World Bank Organization do some research of your own as to who the Federal Reserve beckons to. And so we're giving them hundreds of millions of dollars to create a shadow of all of our data. And I don't know if you guys knew, but in 2004, Facebook took over for LifeLog, which was the CIA's social networking platform. And then, you know, all the competition was bought out by 2010. MySpace no longer exists. And Zuckerberg looks like the mayor for a smart city. Slippery slope surveillance begets more surveillance in China. Every single WeChat has a party member. There's only one political party in China, so they have an extra party member. And it surveils what you say, makes sure nothing is out of line. So one of these Sitsnia Russia situations, Moldova, Hong Kong doesn't break out again. Complete control. That World Bank, they now have a global pulse system in uh, check to take the temperature of society after these global shocks so you got to read the shock doctrine by naomi klein these big events of virus a 2008 bank crash a fake war with iran it makes the market react in a certain way and just like everybody got freaking ptsd from lockdowns the market reacts in ways that the world bank kind of needs to know to run the whole gamut goes back to the uh, micromanaging we need for macroeconomics. 
So he said once everyone is uh, compliant enough, then we can just crowdsource the role of government. <laughs> so you don't have to uh, vote anybody in anymore. You don't have a vote anymore. We're just going to have uh, AI leaders. Your representative is going to be an Emmy winner just based on how many Twitter followers they have. <laughs> Crowdsourcing government. What are we paying taxes for then if we're doing all the work still? This is the commercialization of the world. Socialized costs, privatized benefits, and that's going to be the corporate model for the smart city. Chapter 7, Reinventing City Hall. If you're going to build a smart city, a world-class broadband infrastructure is a must-have. Long Beach, California is known to be one of the best. Their entire downtown has public Wi-Fi. And in Philly, in 2004, they tried to become the laptop city. They spent tens of millions of dollars um, in the housing projects. They were putting up new houses, and they weaved receiver wire into all this stucco like this new 5g towers they put it into the walls that laptop city wound up falling through um but now that like philly has all that infrastructure in place they could turn into long beach california and use it as a receiver to transport more wi-fi reinventing city hall from the inside out city hall is going to be in your walls Townsend, he's like encouraging all cities to create their own initiatives. Longmont, Colorado Cable Company, they spent $300,000, big for a little town of like 70,000 people. They were campaigning against the federal communication takeover. And this was when um, Ajit Pai, he was taking the revolving door from Verizon to the FCC. He secured state-run fiber optic cables so that, like, Longmont Cable Company, they are bought out of business, kind of like Walmart, Target stay open during coronavirus, mom-and-pop shops close. That's smart city behavior. City planners, they start making uh, customized tourist itineraries. So, again, we just robotized the government. The only people that are working at City Hall now are creating tourism for the rich people to come through the city and laugh at everybody stewing in their own shite. We're going to be on our idiocracy smart toilets. I got to watch out my balls tonight. I can't vote now, I'm baiting. He made a crazy argument here. He goes, city planners, you know, they had, they're busy. They got to deal with the tourists now. New York City, they adopted that Squarespace app. And people, the biggest forum in it was trees near me. <laughs> this is what people want to hear about. They want to be able to see some nature. Like the biggest thing in Colorado has got to be hiking forums online. You meet people up on the trail and they're like, where are you hiking? What is a good place for me to go? That World Economic Bank doesn't always have its finger on the pulse of what people want. No, we want crunk badges, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to know where a beautiful waterfall is we got to be herded into the cities. And so now that these legislators are moving into your pocket, they're in your walls, he's saying um, we can micro-view all of your actions, and then we could better shoot for the bus system. We could better tell you when to leave your house to catch the trolley, because remember, you don't have a car. So <laughs> instead of maybe running the trains on time, they're going to give you these notifications that could better let you know when to leave and individualized interaction. Townsend earned a little bit of credit again with me. He goes, 
Mayor Giuliani is a data junkie. He's quoted saying, if you can measure it, you can manage it. So again, with the micro measurements, the internet of things, they are going to be like either smart mirrors now Amazon is selling. There's going to be smart toothbrushes. Your Keurig is going to be smartified. So citizen, do not waste time on caffeine enjoyment. We will optimize stimulant intake with methamphetamine. (laughs) It's like the Nazis put everyone on meth. Trust us, it's good for you. It's a smart meth. We're here in Act 3 of the book. Let's get that Isaac Asimov back. Bigger question. Do we want to be subservient to technology, it telling us when to go to the train, or technology subservient to us? We built these trains to get us from A to B from this time to this time. That's why the clock was invented in the 1800s. There were sundials. They didn't have minutes and seconds. That clock was like, everybody get to the factory on time. You're being watched. (laughs) Civilization, baby. Chapter 8, Planet of Civic Laboratories. In the home stretch here, Townsend is blowing his cover. He's going, we're all lab rat experiments in these cities. How do you have a best-selling book? That was actually... One of his points, he said the hate in 1967 was a cultural happening, summer of love, and this still echoes into today's culture. And that's dangerous for complete control. The closest thing that we've ever seen in our lifetimes, uh, 2011 Occupy Wall Street. There were tens of thousands of kids in the streets, helicopters hovering above southern Manhattan. Abby Hoffman's book made a really big reoccurrence during 2011 it's called steal this book and ironically it went up in sales all the people think their revolution is sponsored by amazon but people were starting to understand those ideas again sovereignty the intelligence community responded to the 2011 clogging of wall street they called it the 2012 summer of smart And we kind of went into it before the Arab Spring and implementing individual leaders getting involved in city politics even. And he was saying in this chapter, you know, we're lab rats. We need to be able to (laughs) convince people on an individual basis who they should vote for from local up to the national level. Townsend said the Summer of Smart hacked a sizable movement from a geek fringe into a civic database. <laughs> we learned about COINTELPRO reading chaos before here. It's hard to beat around the bush when you know the jargon. You got to subvert these movements. This summer of smart was really to take that grassroots Occupy Wall Street, and he called them geeks and turned them into political pawns. So now you support Bernie Sanders, who's saying he's going to pay for everything, revoke the debt. And, uh, you know, he sold out 2016 and 2020 election, even though this guy had the popular vote. Going back to the social software, people aren't able to know that they are being influenced. So a lab rat city, you can't run a experiment if the person knows what the test is that ruins the entire results. So the idea here is if you have all of the lab rats in one cage, it is harder to aggregate one thought pattern. Even if you watch a coop of chickens, there are always going to be a few stragglers that like to stay on the outskirts. So when you segregate the rats and give them the illusion of choice, 
you're better able to create one entire narrative to stick with. This is now classic Operation Mockingbird. There are terms for all these things beyond the Silicon Valley think tank. You could read these books if you want. Again, there's that 2020 future trucker book. <laughs> no more bus drivers. Straight up called that chapter Planet of Civic Laboratories. Let's go to chapter 9. <laughs> Buggy, brittle, and bugged. Palo Alto. It's in the Bay Area of North California. The former CEO of Google, Charlie Ayers, resides there. It's in the heart of Silicon Valley. You got the Google campus sprawling miles to the east. Guys are riding around on hoverboards. They're eating dandelion salads. Townsend complained he visited for research and the smart toilets here didn't work in the smartest city in America. He used to have a bit about this. You want a reclining toilet, you know, with an ashtray. It talks to you like Siri brings you entertainment. They had smart toilets in Palo Alto and his toilet couldn't even tell when it was full of shit. What's the idea? Is the smart city going to be bugged to the point where the sanitation plant doesn't know when the poo waterfall has turned into a pileup? He took this one in a different direction. The smart toilet should be able to compile the city member's DNA. So the state is already going through the digital currency, seeing everything you buy. So why do they need to re-examine everything that goes through your bodies? They know what you're eating. They need to know if there's illegal substances being processed through your feces. And the smart toilet is going to be able to read all of that. Spend half a chapter on the etymology of the word bug. It's a Welsh boog. And uh, Edison used to describe it to put in terms his early inventions they were bugged and he's saying every system available any piece of technology that you put together is going to be bugged and so the system then becomes brittle and more brittle than we think so what happens when your smart portage on goes down <laughs> you're at a festival it's 110 degrees even the terminator got bodied in the end there's never going to be a perfect machine that's the third part, bugged. Not only is it buggy, but all these things are being surveilled, bugged, the Internet of Things, everything will report back to Big Brother. He said in 1977, the CIA funded ARPANET, which you know as DARPA now, Defense Advanced Research Project Agency. They made ARPANET, and it was a social exchange where people could try to share their technological ideas so a technological exchange politics it's always downstream from culture the idea was to make the internet available to everyone and influence through mockingbird one uh, narrative the origin of the internet the internet of things is inherently bugged i think it got away from tptb in the bigger picture but the scariest point he had for this chapter is that your tv too is bugged. Amazon smart TVs have been written about on WikiLeaks.com. He goes, Cisco Vision is already being used in China. Let's go to South Korea. Songdo has it as well. Cisco Vision is a two-way video screen for biometric analysis of your apartment. Make sure no illegal plants are growing and dissident screening. So this two-way live feed screen is always making sure that there isn't any wrong speech going on. And you know Klaus Schwab the guy with no parents who owns the World Economic Forum, Bond villain. 
This guy says that in the near future, we're going to have dream reading and thought reading technology. The CIA is already declassified. They have, like, voice of God tech. This is, um, your thoughts could very well be monitored. Thought crime in the near future. They already have that as a charge in Australia. Remember, politics downstream from culture, you need to seed the manufactured consent before it happens. Almost like this entire book, Smart Cities. Citizen 4,005,825,212, your intrusive thoughts are getting skeptical. Report to the Ministry of Truth for re-education. Russia had this thing called RAND, R-A-N-D, and it was a computer that got close to reading thought patterns. You know, got close in all of these declassifications means successful and top secret. <laughs> Townsend had no sell this chapter. He's going, it's buggy, it's brittle, and it's bugged. Chapter 10, our final chapter, new civics for a smart century. We're back to that initial thesis. Putting people first is a better way to craft technology than putting municipalities first. <laughs> Charlie Bucket's dad, little Willy Wonka, that guy's dad got outed the toothpaste factory by a machine, and Willy Wonka has the most loved factory in the world because he still employs Oompa Loompas. <laughs> I gotta put the Loompas first. Townsend, he went from blowing his cover to straight up lying. He says the government has your interest in mind more than corporations. <laughs> the ones where cities are designed around. Every McDonald's has a 7-Eleven gravitating around it, no mom and pop. Amazon factory coming to your city, subsidized by the government. The individual's best interest is apparently what's in the government's mind here. Townsend says that these cities are going to be built for you. At the end of every book you read, there's a call to action. And so he's saying, all of us, we have to urge each other to opt into smart. <laughs> that doesn't sound cultish. In America, tech is a band-aid for like our shortcomings. Like that fix the train thing. We have four generation old subways can we get one light rail in this country it doesn't have to be smart just make it go a few hundred miles per hour this call to action was kind of creepy broadband is again one of the important things with the city's storage so you gotta start using the cloud more just throw your data up into the sky no hard drives no books. Burn them all. Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> Currently, IBM and Citibank spend $25 million annually to finance smart parking in cities. So this is able to be used by driverless fleets eventually. And didn't say anything about IBM and Citibank letting people or even bank goers, their patrons, use this smart parking app. And so I thought technology was supposed to work for us. They're not going to let us know where you could park for free really quick, like the IBM execs have. Quite obviously one-sided. This is like techno-fascism. It's beta-feudalism. <laughs> it's like we could already have drones delivering you something instead of one-day delivery. Let's just use electricity instead of gas and get it to your doorstep immediately. It's not until UPS, DHL, all of these other delivery systems have been priced out of the market, like with Facebook, that then they will say, okay, FAA now approves Amazon to fly the drones so that they have a monopoly on it. Kind of like all this smart technology. <laughs>
one of Townsend's big ideas to put a bow on it. He said, as an advisor in Silicon Valley, you got to imagine me in a uh, turtleneck with some douchey, wiry-rimmed glasses here. I'm giving a speech at a big tech conference. As an advisor here in Silicon Valley, the most important attribute you can have is loyalty to your state. He's going, all of our think tank buddies already have your future planned out. Forget a five-year plan. Forget about the family structure. You're going to be living off a UBI in a Hunger Games district. Are you guys ready for cyber gangs, civic hackers, extended public ownership, no privacy, RFID-regulated digital currency, omnipotent surveillance? Well, if not, you better start running to the hills. <laughs> the white man came across the sea. He bought a Spain and misery. That is smart cities, ladies and gentlemen. Anthony Townsend, appreciate you guys staying tuned for a new idea, one that's going to become more permanent throughout this decade, 2021 out here. As for the upcoming weeks, our first whip clip for 2021 we got our own agenda 21 is coming up i'm doing a rant on this topic the overestimation of technology you could get my full opinion there on the impending technocratic society gotta kind of hide behind the satire here but i i like to take the brain of the author and try to really defend their points and townsend made that a little hard you could go read that 2020 trucker book on your own digital truckers also a big sell for that show the whip clip we're going to be teasing all the themed episodes for the year so if you want to sneak peek at what we're going to be reading in october any month of the year you could get ahead of it get the ball rolling on your own read something you get chat access so talk to other people it's like a book club over there as for two weeks from now the last week of january we are sending this month off with a bang our second ever Fyodor Dostoevsky crime and punishment. I, as your host, have a degree in criminal justice. They did not make us read crime and punishment. <laughs> Fyodor Dostoevsky, this guy created his own Marvel-style universe inside of St. Petersburg. These Russian misery tales, Raskolnikov, Ivanka's granddaughter... Something like that is the main character in The Crocodile, which we're going to have on in the future. Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment is one of the best literature pieces of all time, Death of a Salesman-level drama. It's going to be a really big show. I cannot wait to share that with everybody. I want to thank you guys once again for staying tuned for Townsend Smart Cities. Signing off. Your host, Nick Munez. See you soon. Peace.